Welcome back to Bottom Shelf. I'm Maeve. And I'm Sophia. And this is episode five. Yesterday we went to a farm. Mm-hmm. I went apple picking. Yeah. And we brought back probably... Wow, so many apples. 150 apples. Yeah, we a have a total of, of what, like five gallons of cut and peeled apples mm-hmm. because we are going to make more pies than you could imagine. We've already, you've already made mm-hmm. two things of two apple, apple crumbles last night. Yeah. Apple crumble. Yeah, apple they were crumble. really good. I think fall is just a time for me personally where I like to bake and cook. I think the running joke between everyone that I know, especially those who live with me, is that I seemingly never cook. I'm a big fan of cereal for all meals. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, Ironic because I cook for literally every meal. Well, I love Yeah, I've fallen into kind of like a horrible dependent relationship with you <laughs> where you just cook all of my meals and do everything for me. Happy. Um, but the thing is, that, like, I do like to cook, but I think that I only like to cook when it gets cold because this is maybe a very silly thing. Cooking involves heat, you know, turn on the oven, turn on a stove. And I think in the summer and spring months, I'm like, hell no, just give me a cold bowl of cereal (laughs) or like already prepared food that I don't have to stay in the kitchen for. Um, So I'm getting pretty into it and very excited to bake lots of things, pies especially. Yeah. That's the big one. Love me some pies. Mark Zuckerberg announced a project to connect refugee camps to the internet, Hmm. which is interesting for a number of reasons. I guess to provide some background, he announced that he was going to help the United Nations bring internet connections to refugee camps, which Mm -hmm. is a little interesting. Yeah, it's ambitious, and also maybe some people are kind of like, what? Why would you do that? He describes the internet as an enabler of human rights. Well, I think that's something that we've seen a lot in different humanitarian actions is like having access to the internet is, I think, considered a staple of, first of all, you know, developed countries, free countries, um, and countries where human rights and freedom of information are really important. Right. So I think that's the angle he's coming from. Also the angle of promoting Facebook. Right, because I was thinking the first, I think, interesting thing is that he was, like, very much, like, it's not all about altruism. Like, you know, it's helping Facebook's bottom line to have more people on the Internet. And I think that the idea is that, uh, you know, if the CEO and founder of Facebook is providing Internet access, you can probably assume that a lot of people are going to be on Facebook as a result of that. Um, so I think that brings uh, it's like an interesting question. We've talked about this before about the idea of like capitalism result, like really moving social change. Mm-hmm. Like you have a guy who obviously has a lot of power, and I'm sure like some of it is related to you know you know wanting to enable human rights or whatever. But I think right. a big part of it is he's seeing this as a business opportunity, which I think is interesting. And you know I've always felt like that is really. You know, that's a really good way to enact change is to try to motivate big, powerful business people like Mark Zuckerberg. I think coming against a lot of blowback for for that, though. I think one of the articles we were reading talked about how 68 organizations had signed on to a letter to send to him saying that this, um, like, providing 
internet to these camps is going to be creating a lot of privacy issues. Oh, yeah, and also issues of net neutrality. Um, because although he hasn't said this explicitly, I mean, like, the idea that I feel, you know, I think it's maybe likely that what's going to happen is that whatever service provider, if he's, like, creating one, is probably going to favor Facebook and other sites over others. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be an issue of net neutrality. So, that like, that, there was a petition that was, like, saying that it would violate issues with that. He kind of released a statement that said it would, like, skirt issues of that. I think net neutrality in general is kind of a thorny topic. Yeah, Um, net neutrality is something that I feel slightly confused by. But I think basically the concept of net neutrality is that internet service providers are not providing equal access to sites. Like, they could be blocking some, or they could be having, like, faster connections to others, Mm -hmm. and that's not okay, Um, sort of. Not a lot of legislation on this. Um, Anyways, but I think then the, like, final thing that's sort of interesting, which is what you mentioned, is... Um, you know, having, like, freedom of information and connecting more developing countries to the rest of the world is um, where I think a lot of times increasingly you're getting it's changing perceptions of inequality. You know, there's a lot of, like, talk in, like, international development camps about how increasingly because of the Internet, people in developing countries are seeing how, like, Mm -hmm. you know, the 1% of the United States, like, the wealthiest of the wealthy are living, and that is oftentimes sparking social change. Like, you have, like, the Arab Spring, where, like, you know, the internet really facilitated right. that. I want to ask about the the usage of the internet in the refugee camps, because I, you know, when I first heard this, I was thinking, like, this man has millions and billions of dollars at his disposal. Why right. is he sending the internet rather than other more immediately helpful things? things, you know, because I could think of a lot of needs at refugee camps, like immediate needs, whereas the internet may be a a long-term need. So then I'm curious, is is the goal here to help people connect with their families? Um, Because that's like, that seems like something that could be very useful in a refugee camp. You know, but here's, I'm envisioning the issue where if a lot of these, if a lot of refugee camps don't have enough food or water or medical supplies to help everybody who's there, why would well, it matter if they I the think, internet? I really feel like this is an issue of supply and demand. I think he he's not doing it because he wants to be like, how can I help? I think he's like, hey, here's a thing that combines like a business model and a humanitarian effort. So like Mark Zuckerberg's not going to provide like water to people because I think he's thinking like some other company will be motivated to do that. Right. You know, he's not like, I think that's the key thing is that this is not just a whim of like altruism. It's like right. okay. he's trying to you know, help a business. Quick note about it before we stop talking about this topic is I just thought it was very interesting how in these things, the way that they do it, because they're not, like, establishing, like, towers or satellites, is that they have, like, blimps that and, like, drones stationed probably, like, above the refugee camps to pick up the satellite signals. Doesn't that seem like a scene out of, like, a sci-fi movie? You have, yeah, like, a refugee camp. Very, I, like, hmm. just miles and miles of tents, and then you have, like, one Facebook blimp hovering above it, connecting it. No, it's definitely it. gonna say Facebook on it. I mean... It probably is gonna say Facebook on it. This is about the business. No, I know. I wasn't... Yeah. I, no, it's I, so funny. I don't know. So, it's like kind of a cool, interesting idea. So, hmm. interesting topic. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I've been thinking about you. You no, no, no. I've been thinking about you. Do you think about me still? Do you, do you? Or do you not think so far ahead? 
We haven't talked about this yet, but I think since the start of our podcast, this has been an ongoing thing for me, is that I've been dyeing my hair purple. Um, But very recently, as in a few days ago, I got it professionally dyed purple, although my many accounts, my own, may be the most important. It's indigo. Yeah, it is. I think here's the key thing is that it looks great and it's a beautiful, beautiful color. Yeah, the issue is that it's not the color you wanted. No, I was looking for, I don't know if people are familiar, like, a, I feel like Nicole Richie is the big inspiration for a lot of people that want to go, like, lavender or violet, is I wanted, like, a light, soft purple color. And admittedly, when I went to the salon, they were like, you can't do that because it won't last as long as you want it to. Because the reason that I went to a professional place, because I had been dyeing it, for, like, I don't know, I think a total, like, a month every week, and it just required a lot of upkeep because I was just using dye and conditioner, which did not last long. Right. And I liked the color so much that I wanted a more permanent option, and by permanent, I mean, like, three months. Uh, so, the, like, the hairstylist, I guess, kind of was up front and was like, it has to be darker, um, but I had sort of a roller coaster of emotions about it. Um, I think, so, like, all, everything that I've heard, feedback has been largely positive. Am I unsure if a lot of that is just people feel obligated to address the change and no one's going to tell me it looks bad? Maybe, yeah. Um, Mm. but I think the biggest thing, here's what I, as of this morning, I've come to this, uh, this sort of peace of mind (laughs) about my hair. Yesterday was a rough day. When we went to the apple orchard, I don't, even though I, like, saw a ton of people and everyone was like, yeah, I love it, it was, like, the day where I was like, oh, my God, I look like I'm wearing a wig. Um, I think, I think the issue is, not the issue, the reason is because it's a very intense color. Yeah, it's like a big... It's not because it doesn't look good, it's because, it's, first of all, it's a bigger change, whereas, like, when you dyed your hair light purple, it matched your skin tone, it's sort of, your hair was already very silvery blonde, Mm -hmm. so it, um... You know, from far away, people might not notice, but when you right. like are talk when you're talking to you, you realize, wow, her hair is lavender. Right. And so I think because this is a very intense change. Yeah, I think I naturally, I think people are just reacting to the change, which I was like fine with. Yeah. Um. But yeah, this is really big. Maybe my biggest issue. We talked about this last episode, so people are aware. Selfies are very hard now. The contrast. Mm-hmm. You can't. My face is either washed out. Or you, I have black hair in the phone. I'll get used to it. You know, I had maybe the privilege of just taking photos with, like, pale skin, blonde hair. So it was like, that's fine. Like, good lighting, no problem. I felt like, because, you know, yesterday, apple orchards are photo opportunities. Mm-hmm. Let's be real. We're in the you modern like you age. Had some great photos yesterday? No. I feel like yesterday was a bad time. I was like, ugh, I look horrible in all these photos, which maybe I didn't. But it was just, it was rough. And I think, you know, conference is so important. And I would like to think that I'm a big proponent of confidence and self-confidence. Exactly. Well, I, I think, first of all, when you make a huge change like that, you know, whether it's like cutting off all your hair or... There's an adjustment your period. Hair, you know, whatever you do, yeah, there's an adjustment period where you get used to it and where you um, have to accept that, like, your physical appearance that you see in the mirror every day is different. Right. You know, because when you make such a drastic change, every time you look in the mirror, it takes you a little while to, like, recognize it as yourself. Right. But I think this morning, because I guess back to my my revelation, my peace of mind that I reached this morning in the early hours of 930 
uh, was that I, like, I think I'm going to, like, be okay with it. And I think maybe the biggest thing is that I just have to change my, not change my wardrobe, but I think I have to be more conscious of what I'm wearing. And I think, too, I think that maybe my biggest issue is that for me, I feel like, like, uh, image confidence and, like, body confidence is so much born from me being, like, this is, like, what I was born with, this is what I'm, like, working with, and, like, you know, you gotta learn to, like, love it, otherwise you're kind of screwed, you know, because that's, you got, like, one body, um, and I think that my biggest issue, at least yesterday, is I was, like, I've made a terrible mistake in altering my appearance, um, but now I'm kind of, like, well, firstly, because yesterday I, uh, (laughs) attempted to scrub it out of my hair because I was very naive, and I don't know how... Look a lot later. Yeah, I used I used like a very sulfate heavy shampoo, thinking like I'm gonna get it out. Well, I don't know how base and developer works, but uh, they're not kidding when they tell you it's permanent. So basically, I attempted to scrub it out and I failed. And I think that that actually really helped. Is I was like, okay, I like I don't really have options. This is what I have, and this is what I'm gonna work with. So I think that it that was a, it looks a lot less black though today. Oh yeah, it certainly is like sort of changing. It looks much more purpley color. And yeah, so I think really what happened is I was kind of like, okay, this is me for three months, and like I'm gonna make it work because otherwise, you no, know, something that I feel like I've had to come to terms with not on a personal, well, maybe I'm sort of a person, but not, like, on my own body, is that hair is something that's so temporary, and, like, oh, yeah. you can cut it, um, you know, dye it, whatever, it's going to come back. How you look, not the body that you have, but, like, is, is temporary. If you're not yeah. comfortable with your weight, you can work out. Like, if you, you know, you don't like the color of your hair, you don't like your dye job, you don't, it's temporary, it's going to grow back. If you are in that situation, I think there's a lot to be said about, like, learning to, like, love it and accept it. Whether it's you're loving it and accepting it because you know that it's going to change or you're loving it and accepting it because you know that in this moment you can change it. Yeah, well, I think that's something important is, like, learning to not stress out about something you can't change. This is a very special episode because we have our very first guest, and we couldn't be more pleased that our first guest, or I couldn't be, I hope Maeve shares this sentiment. Uh, we couldn't be more pleased that our first guest is my very own blood, um, my sister Olivia, who lives in D.C. She is 23? 22. You? Oh my god, I don't know. <laughs> she turned 23 until November. Alright, she's younger than I thought. Um uh-huh. But wise beyond her years. Uh, Thank is, you. She just moved to D.C. Uh, in in August. In August, at the be at the end of August, nearly September. And My sixth week here. Yeah, I guess to like I don't know to properly introduce you, I gotta give like a good bio. Olivia attended U Chicago, University of Chicago. Uh, for okay. those unacquainted, um, graduated this summer because U Chicago is so weird and they graduate so late in public policy she's currently working at Hanover Research where she yeah, does big grant. shout out to my institutions yeah so Olivia is here and she's going to talk about a variety of things she's going to share her life experiences so I think we're going to start with questions for Olivia about her time in DC my uh, very very short time in DC I don't know how much yeah. Actual valuable knowledge I have to share. We'll talk but I do have many dumb stories. No, but I think, like, a thing that a lot of college students who are recent graduates or, like, a, are approaching graduation have this um, 
subconscious fear of like what happens after you graduate and you move to a right. new city or not even or a wholly conscious yeah. fear. A wholly conscious well formed <laughs> fear. Terror. Yeah, yeah. So, cold sweats. Yeah. So maybe you could start by talking a little bit about like your transition mm-hmm. to Chicago's a big city, but to another big city that maybe sure. is not as familiar and starting a job that's a five to nine rather than being a student, that kind of thing. Cultural shifts. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's probably the number one thing that I think about at this moment in time. I mean, I just graduated in June. Um, Obviously, college is a huge part of the young person experience. And I think at this point in time, and I think that many of my friends would say the same, it really feels like the most kind of defining period of time in my entire life. Um, Yeah. Uh, But I think, you know, I interned in D.C. for two summers before moving here. So I think that that's made at least the city aspect of transitioning to um, a new job much easier just because I'm familiar with the place. And I'm lucky that a lot of my friends moved here as well. And Sophia obviously lives here. So that's been good. Um, But yeah, I think the I think what is most in what has been most interesting about my experience so far has been, you know, um, for the entirety of my senior year, at least, I think I was kind of operating with one foot out the door, right? Like, I think it's tough to a natural. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's tough to not be thinking about what the next moment is going to look like, especially because it's sort of uncharted territory in a way that other parts of my life haven't been before. Um, So I was sort of imagining what this period of time would look like for a full 12 months before I actually got here. Um, And it's just not really, I mean, it's, it's good, but it's, it's difficult to envision um, the particularities of how your life will change. Right. So, um, so what do you think? I think to like, let's give some distillable advice to whomever is looking for it is, um, you know, I think, cause I obviously am well acquainted with, you know, your transition here. Um, but I think what are some of like the important things, you know, that you're thinking, you know, either mentally or like actually doing that is kind of easing this transition, you know, cause I, let's, we're all going to take off the rose colored glasses here. You know, they're like, okay, obviously it's great to move to a new city and new experiences are awesome. And it's great to start like a new part of your life, but Transitions are hard, and change well, can be also, difficult. I mean, Olivia said that that's most, like, one of the most defining periods of your life, and I think it's really hard to come to terms with the fact that such an important period of your life is behind you. Yeah. And so, maybe advice. Yeah, for that. sure. I mean, again, I'm very much at the beginning of this, but I think that staying um, really positive and, like, excited about... So, I, I'm excited about the job that I'm doing. I do... Um, sort of higher ed policy research um, here in D.C., which is what I was, I've was i been interested in, uh, at least education policy for the entirety of my academic career. Um, so I think just finding things to be excited about in my work is really important um, and also sort of actively pursuing social experiences and like doing fun stuff in the city. I think in college, it's like really easy for stuff to come to you. You know, the party comes to you. Uh, I think in adult life, you, you got to come to the party. Yeah. Start your own party. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that the number one thing is just like also being, uh, gentle with yourself. Um, 
Always good. Yeah, which is definitely something that I am still learning to do. Um, you know, understanding that you can only do so many things at once and like the transition will definitely take time. But I think that that is also a thing um, that extends beyond the post-grad transition, right? Like I think being in college, it is also paramount to remember to be gentle Absolutely. with yourself and forgive yourself when you don't do everything perfectly, um, which is definitely easier said than done. <laughs> very, very true. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really relevant advice, I think, for any stage. Um, of anyone's life. Of any life, you know, is I think important things to find, you know, stay excited, find things to be excited about. Not being competitive, I think, is really big. Oh, shine yeah. theory, supporting the women in your life. Good. Yeah, good. never yeah, never allowing um the achievements of women around you to detract from your own self-image, I think is great. And I think that yeah, I think our relationship would be really different if it felt defined by competition, but it yeah. certainly No, it's not. Does I think this not. sort of relates to something we talked about a couple episodes ago, like good versus bad envy. Mm-hmm. You know, and the idea of looking at somebody else's accomplishments as inspiration for you. Firstly, I think shine theory is something that I um, I would like to not have to remind myself of it, and I think, but I think I'm getting even better. At least Willis is good because you two, I feel like, are the people where like I am now. If you guys achieve something, I feel like wildly happy. You know, I'm never not talking about things that you're doing. Um, well, I think like despite like having to constantly remind yourself because I constantly remind myself, you know, because somebody will be doing something that's annoying or just, like, I don't understand the value or whatever of it. And then I have to remind myself, wait a second, like, what they're doing is actually really cool and empowering and that kind of thing. But I think we do take a lot, and I think I've taken a leaf out of your book, in finding inspiration in other women who have done really amazing things and really having, um, maybe mentors is the wrong word because I don't think we actually know or have met any of the inspiration of women we talk about in our podcast. But the idea of really finding, like, people who inspire you and aiming to that type of, you know, lifestyle or thought or whatever is important. Yeah. I think it's great to have female role models, female inspiration. Yeah, and I think that that type of mentorship also doesn't necessarily need to come from people that are much older than you, right? No. I think that's something that has really benefited me um, in my college life and now my life beyond is seeking mentorship from my peers. Uh, I am constantly, constantly learning from the cool ladies that I spend all of my time with. Well, I think so that's something that we are so privileged to have is that at U Chicago and here, like to be surrounded by people who are not only really intelligent, but are also passionate and motivated and are doing a lot of really cool stuff. Um, So, I mean, Without that, I think it'd be easy to get complacent about your own achievements. But you, well, you know, when you're surrounded by people who are constantly inspiring you and um, pushing you to do better, I think that's a really like special thing to have. Yeah, taking inspiration from the people around you, like making sure that you, while taking credit for your accomplishments, remain humble. Those are like humility. Yeah, I'm really I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, humility. Yeah. Yes. Also, those are those are my keys to success. There we go. Olivia said it here. Yeah. The two keys to success. This is why we brought her on the show. Yeah. Uh, so she can share it with everybody else. Little capsules no, 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 of knowledge. I think those are good keys. Like for yeah. success, not just like work success or in a work environment, but for social success or really in any aspect of your yeah, life. Yeah. Like don't don't downplay your shit. 
Started from the bottom, now we here. Started from the bottom, now my whole team fucking here. Started from the bottom, now we here. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here, nigga. Started from the bottom, now we here. Started from the bottom, now my whole team here, nigga. Started from the bottom, now we here. This has been the fifth episode of Bottom Shelf. We were really excited to have our first guest, Olivia. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you guys for having me. It has truly been a delight. The feeling is mutual. Yeah. Uh, so, um, just a quick little thing about future things to come is that we will start to um, expand our media offerings. I'm not going to say when, but in the coming weeks, we will have a video. Um, Very exciting. It's also, really exciting. Update: We've decided to rec- to release the podcast every two weeks rather than every week for a number of reasons. Um, well, we just want quali- – we're focusing on quality over quantity, and we also want to keep up with the pace of our listeners. Right. People were having a hard time listening as quickly as we were recording. We're really receptive to our audience members. Yep. So in case you thought that, like, a comment that you were going to put, you know, like, a tweet you were going to write, maybe you have, like, seven draft tweets to us, and you're like, oh, they're not going to listen to us. They don't care what I have to say. Think again, listener. We would love to hear from you. Uh, I look forward to fun things to come. We, Thanks for listening. We to love show. you all. Okay, bye. Bye.